Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? So if, if you were here last week, I kind of shared my story of, of, of how I went from walking so far from the Lord. And, and people say that, and I say that, and I was like, you're walking far. You're never far from the Lord. You just don't realize how close he is and how good he is. It's like you think you're so far from him, and then all of a sudden you turn and you realize he's been there the whole time, and he's better than I ever knew or even dared to believe. And, and you, but, but I shared kind of the story of walking through that and discovering who he was and discovering him as a father and, and how everything changed. And I was thinking about like how change happens in our life. And, and I honestly believe the greatest way that, 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 that my life was changed and that anyone's life is changed. I think the reason we see Jesus live the life that he lived is believing what God has said over our lives and believing that we really are who he says that we are. Even when life, even when circumstances, even when people, even when our own thoughts, our own minds, our own hearts would try to condemn us or try to tell us otherwise, it's, it's grabbing a hold of what he said and actually believing it and then living according to what he said. It's one thing to, to believe, like, oh, he's the God that does this, or he's the God that does that, or he's called me to do this, he's called me that. It's another thing to then say, okay, if that's true, then what does that look like for my life, for the rest of my life? If I believe that word, if I truly believe what he spoke over my life, if I really believe that I am a new creation, then that means I should expect and I should live completely different than I did before I was a new creation. If all things passed away and everything became new, I I should actually be pursuing him and asking him, what have you made new? What's different? Like, show me what you've changed, God. Show me what it is to live in the way that you've called me to live. And, and so um, I, I just was thinking about that, and I was, I, was, um, I was thinking, there's been times in my life where I haven't actually believed what he said about me. And, and you know, the problem with that is that you could actually have a promise from God and be standing in front of it, looking at it, and not actually walk in it, not actually believe it, and not actually possess it. Be, not because he hasn't spoke, not because what he has, has, hasn't done or hasn't said, but because you haven't actually believed the word that he spoke over your life. You, you see this super clearly in, throughout the word, but one of the most obvious places it shows up um, is when the, the, uh, when the Israelites are, are, are going to the promised land. Now, this is the land God said, I'm taking you to a land that I'm giving to you. And then he said, when you go there, there's going to be people there drive them out. Then he says, I'm going to go before you and drive them out. They have all these promises. They've seen the Lord be faithful. And this is the thing. The faithfulness of God is not so that we have stories forever of who he was. Those are amazing, but they should change our view of current circumstances, current situations, and our expectation for future ones. Like if all they are is a testimony of who God was, that doesn't do a whole lot. But when it convinces me that not only is that who he was, but that's who he is and who he will be, then that should change the way I see things. And so the spies go into the land, and they go and look, and there's two of them that are convinced of what God said. They've taken his word, and they've actually hid his word in their heart. And there's the rest of them that decide, we're not able to go up against the people, for they're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone and spying it out, it is the land that devours its inhabitants. 
and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, or part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. How did they know what they looked like to the Nephilim? Like, do you ever think about stuff when you read that? Like, did they go and ask the Nephilim? Like, hey, <clears throat> I'm just curious. When you see us, we're going to go back and give a report to the others. Could you tell me, what do you see? It says, so we were in their eyes. How did they know that? How do they know what they look like to the Nephilim? They, they hand out survey cards, you know, like fill these out, pass them back. We'll be ushers coming and collecting them at the end of the week, and, and we're going to take these back. No, it's because whatever we believe about ourselves, we'll project that belief onto others. And so what we believe to be true about ourselves, we will look at other people and assume they must believe the same thing. And so it said we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in theirs also. Because why? Because if I believe that this is what I look like, then I'll believe that's what you think I look like when I think about you. And what I believe about myself, I'll project onto your belief, and then I'll live according to that. Were they grasshoppers? No. How do they know what they look like? How do they know that if the Nephilim saw them, which they probably didn't, or they probably would have came and attacked them, that's the kind of people that they were. But, but if the Nephilim saw them, do you remember that story where there was the, the beggars that were living in that town where there was no food, and the enemy were encamped a ways away, and they said, look, if we stay here, we're going to die. We're going to starve to death. Let's just go and start walking and go towards the enemy's camp, and who knows, maybe they'll bring us in and give us food. You have a few beggars that are in a position where they say, to stay here is death. There's a chance that they may kill us, but there's a chance they may not. Why don't we at least go give it a shot? What do we have to lose? And it says, and as they started walking, the enemy heard the footsteps at the sound of an advancing army, and they fled in terror. And a few beggars walked in and ransacked the camp, and then went back and told the others, hey, there's plenty of food, there's plenty of provision, there's plenty of stuff over there in the enemy's camp. How do they know? How do they know that when they were looking out, if the Nephilim did see them, that they didn't see something more than what the people saw them, thought of themselves? And the problem is, is that they were living not according to the word that God spoke over their lives. See, God spoke over your lives. This is the land I am giving you, and you are able to possess it. So if God spoke that over their life, then that means when they go in and they look at the land, they don't look at the land to try to determine whether or not this is the problem. The problem is, is that they've got the whole premise wrong to begin with. If God said, this is the land I'm giving you, and I'm going to drive the enemy out, and you are certainly able to possess it, then that means when they go into the land, they should be looking through the lens of, this is our land that God's giving us, and trying to figure out what it's going to look like when they inhabit it, not look at the land and decide whether or not they're capable of taking it over. They're to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And so... Um, So when God said to them to go do something, with that came not only the ability, but the expectation that they would do it. And you start thinking about the different things that God said to people. So God says to the woman that was caught in adultery, go and sin no more. You tell me she never sinned for the rest of her life? No, but I'm saying that's what Jesus said. 
And so that means if he's called her to go and sin no more, there's an ability in what he spoke over her to go and sin no more. Not only that, but now that he's called her to that, there's actually an expectation upon them. And, and this is why the, for the spies that came back and gave the bad report, they weren't allowed to enter into the land. And they actually died in the wilderness. But the two who lived by the word of God actually were able to enter into the land. Because when God speaks something over your life and he calls you to something, the ability is in the voice, but so is an expectation. And so when he calls us to do something and he sends us to do something, it's not like this thing where it's like, well, this is what God's called me to, and I don't know, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. No, it's like when heaven calls you to something and speaks something over your life, there's an expectation there. And there's a responsibility there because there's an ability that's given. And to whom much is given, much is expected. And with the voice of God in your life, coming into your life, there's an expectation of use. Like, it's not a light thing for God to speak something over your life. He's actually calling you into something. But you have to believe that. Because they couldn't sit back. Like, think about it. The children of Israel couldn't just take a seat and sit back and say, well, if this is the land that God's going to give us, then let's just go camp out on the edge of the town. And we'll just send in spies once a week, and once they go in, they find that nobody's there, then we'll go in and live. It didn't work that way. God said, I'm giving you the land, I'm driving them out, now you go and drive them out. What's he saying? I'm going to use you to accomplish what I want to accomplish, and you are going to be the way that I accomplish it, and you are going to live in the fruit of your obedience. And so, so as I, I, was, I was thinking about that, and as I was thinking about this, the way my mind works, I started thinking about David. And I started thinking about when he said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. And he talks about the statutes and the precepts of God, but I also believe that David lived by the words that were spoke over his life by the prophet Samuel when he anointed him and said, you'll be the king and you'll lead over the people. And he lived according to that word because that word of God he actually hid in his heart. So that word that he hid in his heart was a determination, and it, and it made decisions for him. So when, when he, even before he sat on the throne, he acted in accordance to the word that was spoke over his life. And like, I was thinking about Saul. Like, Saul has the same word spoke over his life that David has spoke over his life. He's anointed by the same prophet with the same oil to do the same thing. Like, we all talk about anointing. Like, you don't need a greater anointing. You actually need to believe the anointing that's on your life and then live according to it. They had the same anointing. The prophet Samuel came and found Saul. The prophet Samuel came and found David. The prophet Samuel poured oil over Saul. The prophet Samuel poured oil over David. The prophet Samuel told Saul he was anointed by God to be king and lead the people. David was told by Saul, I mean by Samuel, that he was anointed by God to lead the people. It was the same calling, the same anointing, the same purpose. But knowing the calling and knowing the, the anointing and knowing the purpose for your life isn't enough in itself unless you actually believe that you're capable of living in what you're called to. So you see, David, he lives constantly that way. He constantly lives according to it. So when he finds himself, so think about this. The man who said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you, takes the word of king and hides that in his heart but he also takes the written word of God that says, honor your father, hides that in his heart. So even after he's anointed king, when his father says, go and serve your brothers, he humbles himself and goes and serves them, even though he's been anointed king right in front of all of them. Why? Because the spoken word of God over your life doesn't nullify the written word of God in your life. They actually have to go together, and they actually will 
serve one another. And so, so David lives that way, but Saul doesn't. Open your Bibles up real quick to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 10. Think about this. When Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Like, when you find, anytime you find that Jesus rebuked his disciples... It's always because prior to him rebuking them, he called them to something, which meant that the ability to do what he called them to do was there. So there was never a time that he rebuked them that he didn't first speak a word to them that was not only an instructional word, but within the instructional word is the grace and the ability, which is supposed to spark faith in our hearts so that we live according to the word that proceeds from his mouth. So they're supposed to live according to the word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not according to what they see. So when he says, let's go to the other side, they're supposed to live according to the word of God, which says, let's go to the other side, not according to the storm, which says we're going to die. And so he rebukes them because they had the ability because with the voice comes the ability. So when he said, let's go to the other side, the ability to get to the other side was there. So when they don't live according to his word and they wake him up, they say, don't you care, we're drowning, he rebukes them. He says, and Jesus rebuked them and said, oh, you little faith. We all want to hear God's voice. You could sell books and fill conferences right now about hearing the voice of the Lord. And that's, that's, and that's good, and that's right. But just remember that along with the voice of God and hearing his voice comes the responsibility to live according to what he says. Like Jesus was talking about this. He says, listen, count the cost. Like nobody starts a tower without first asking themselves, am I capable of doing this? And do I have what it takes to finish this? Otherwise, they'll get partway done, run out of materials, run out of ability to do it. And he says, and then everyone will look and see. Just, you know, a good way to make sure that, and position your heart to hear God's voice is to make sure that you take inventory and you actually hide the words he spoke over your life in your heart and make sure that you're actually living according to the word that you've already received before asking for another one. Sometimes we're like, well, God, I wish God would speak to me. Well, he's either currently speaking and you're not hearing or he's already spoke and you're not obeying. And out of his love and kindness for us, he won't continue to give us more and more when we're not being faithful to steward what he's already given us. Because then that would just bring judgment upon us because we will be held accountable for the things he spoke over our lives. So in his kindness, sometimes he just is like, okay, I won't say any more until you actually value and live in and do what I've called you to and what I've spoke over your life. And then when we're obedient to that word, the next word comes. Why? Because who can be faithful with little will be made ruler over much to whom is faithful with the little, they'll be given the much. If we want to hear his voice more often, we should start by being obedient with the times that we already do. You guys are quiet this morning. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 5. Is everybody, how are you guys doing today? Yeah? Um, First Samuel chapter 10, verse 5 says, Afterward, this is Samuel, he's talking to Saul. And he's telling him things that are going to happen. And he's telling him that he's going to be the king. And he says, Afterwards, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. 
And it will be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. It shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your spirit. I'm thankful that when we gather here today, God, that you're faithful to speak to us. And God, I just ask that that our hearts would be good soil that would receive your word, God, but that would also uh, not just receive it, God, but that we we would steward our hearts, that we would tend to our hearts, God, that we would above all things guard our heart. That, that the word that goes into our heart would actually be given room and place to be able to, to grow and produce fruit, God, in our lives. That, that a world that doesn't know you would taste and see your goodness through the lives that we live because of your word that's hidden in our heart. Amen. So, so Saul is, is this, this kind of timid guy that, um, that, that to everybody is... Uh, uh, eyes would look like he's supposed to be king, and they're wanting a king, and God says to him, you guys don't want a king. If you get a king, this is what's going to happen. They're like, well, we want a king because we want to be like everybody else, and so God gives them what he doesn't want to give them. That's, that's just a terrifying thing, really. Like, you look at that, and you're like, wow, he's so good. Now, that's kind of scary, though, that he'll say, listen, you really don't want this, and they say, oh, no, we do because we want to be like everybody else, and so God relents. And says, okay, I'll give you a king. I'll give you what you're asking for, even though it's not what I want for you. And even though it's not going to go well for you. It's kind of terrifying. That's why we have to make sure that we delight ourselves in him. That way the desires of our heart that he gives us are actually the desires that he wants for us. If they'd been finding their delight in him, they would have delighted in the the way that he had established them to be ruled over. But instead, they were looking at everything but him, and they were looking at the other countries, they were looking at the other people around them, and that's what they were taking their cue from. And so rather than being delighted in him and wanting what he wanted for them, they found their delight in everybody else around them. They said, we would love to be like everybody else. God, would you give us a king? God says, okay, I'll give you what you're asking for, but it's not going to go well, and here's what's going to happen. He says, tell the people. Samuel goes and tells the people, listen, this is not what you guys want. Now, yes, we do. He goes back to God. He says, I told them, don't want a king. God says, okay, I'll give them a king, but tell them this. And so now Samuel has the task of finding a king. And and Saul of Kish is heads and, and shoulders above every other man in the kingdom. He's the tallest man. He's the biggest man. He's the obvious choice for a king. And he's probably the one that if the people were to look around and choose a king, that they would choose. He's the biggest. He's a warrior. But he's kind of this timid guy. You ever, you ever see, like, when you watch sports, you see these people that are, like, these huge athletic guys. They're, like, 6'8", 6'10", but they just don't have the grit. And you look at him and you're like, man, if that guy just had some heart, if that guy just had more drive, that guy could be incredible. I wish I had his size. It's always us guys that are below six foot. They're looking at the six eighters, six eleveners and going, give me that height. Watch what I'll conquer the world. But Saul's kind of one of these guys. And and he just, even though he, he should be, he's not confident. He's not assured. And so God needs to change him so that he can actually be the man that's capable of being king. And so he says to him, he says, listen, Samuel says, when you go up to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, 
Notice the enemy was camped on the hill of the Lord. When you go up to the hill of God, where the enemy, the Philistine camp is, anytime we allow the enemy in a place where the Lord's, that, that is the Lord's, things go haywire real quickly, which is probably part of the reason why they wanted something God didn't want for them, was because the enemy was occupying a place that was supposed to belong to God. Be careful that you don't give the enemy a place that's supposed to belong to the Lord in your life. Because that's what it says. You'll come to the hill of God where the enemy's garrison is. And it shall be as soon as you come there to the city that you'll meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with the harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. It shall be when these signs come to you. Do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. So here's what, here's what Samuel's, saying, Samuel's saying to Saul. He's saying, listen, you're going to go there, you're going to see the prophets, and here's a sign that you will know that God is changing you into another man. When you see them, you'll begin to prophesy. Saul's never prophesied in his life. He's not called a prophet at that time. And so Saul goes, the story goes, Saul goes, and he comes to the hill. And as soon as he sees the prophets, he goes up and he joins them. And immediately he begins to prophesy. It says, and he was changed into another man that day. When, when you became born again, it says, all things passed away. Therefore, if any man is Christ, he is therefore now a new creation. You've been changed into a new man. But you can't sit back and say, well, if God changed me into a new person, then how come and live your life expecting him to go after and pursue the things that he's put in front of you? Saul was changed into another man, but he actually had to believe it and then live as though that was true. And this sign wasn't simply just so that Saul would know he was changed into another man by prophesying. That was supposed to be a sign that said, he said, and when this happens, when you find yourself an occasion, do whatever is asked of you, for God is with you. This was what Saul was supposed to learn that day. Anything that's asked of me, I'm capable of doing because the presence of God that's with me. That was what was supposed to change in his heart that day. It wasn't so much prophesying. That was an outward sign. But you know what? That was the thing that people noticed. They saw him prophesying, and they said, is Saul now one of the prophets? People may notice an outward sign, but really what God's interested in is, is what's going on inside in our hearts. Do we actually believe what's been spoken over our life? Because you can stand in a place and prophesy, and people could hear your prophecy and be blessed, and yet you're not changed by the fact that you've been turned into another man. It says he prophesied. And the people said, has Saul now become one of the prophets? Other people were impressed. Other people noticed. Other people maybe even were blessed by the prophecy that came forth out of his mouth. But yet it didn't do anything for Saul because he actually never believed that he was capable of what God called him to because of the presence of God. And that was what was supposed to change that day. But you see, a little while later, Samuel comes to Saul and he says, here's what you have to do. I want you to go to this city, and I want you to erect an altar there, and I want you to bring a sacrifice, and I want you to wait for me seven days until I come, and when I come to you, I will sacrifice, and then you can go out against your enemies. And so Saul does all that's asked of him. He does everything that's required of him. He gets the people to where they're supposed to be. He builds the altar. He gets the sacrifice. Like all the hard things. 
all the outward things. Like, like those are the things that he does. He builds the altar out of stone. He gets the sacrifice to the mountain. He gets the people to come to the mountain. He does all the outward things that are asked of him, but there's something in his heart that hasn't changed because of the word that spoke over his life. He hasn't hidden that word of God in his heart that says, know this day when you see these signs that whatever is asked of you, you can do it because God is with you. And so he's standing there, and he sees after, uh, on the seventh day, he's waiting for Samuel to come. It's about the time Samuel's supposed to come. And suddenly, the people start to grumble and complain and leave. And so Saul decides, rather than waiting for Samuel, to sacrifice and to do what the people want, to please the people. And the second they begin to sacrifice, Samuel shows up and says, why didn't you wait? And he says, because I saw the people. And I heard what they were saying, and I saw they were leaving. I became afraid, so I sacrificed. If, if the word of God spoke over your life is not hidden in your heart, you'll be tempted to live by what people say, by what people do, by what people don't do, by disappointment, by fear, by wanting to please people, You'll be tempted to live by all kinds of other things if you don't take the word of God and actually hide it in your heart. Look at the opposite side of that coin. You have David. David is, is anointed by God to be king, and he says, Thy word have I hid in your heart that I might not sin against you. Romans says all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what David is saying is this, God, I've hid your word in my heart that I won't live in a way that falls short of your glory. I've hid your word in my heart so that I won't live in a way that falls short of your glory. You were made to live in glory. Jesus said, the glory which you've given to me, I've given to them. And so David has this thing where he says, I'm not going to live in a way that, that, that would dishonor the Lord. I'm not going to live in a way that falls short of the glory of the Lord. And so when the opportunity to kill Saul is put in front of him, he has a word hidden in his heart that says that God's going to place him on the throne. And he realizes if God's given me a word that he's going to put me on the throne and didn't say I have to get myself there, then I'm going to trust him. And so when Saul's asleep in front of him, he doesn't kill him. What does he do? He says, you shall not touch the Lord's anointed. What comes out of his heart in that moment is the word of God that's hidden in his heart. And so he doesn't take and touch Saul's life. And then later, whenever he has to, or, or, or before that, when he has to face Goliath, when he has to face the Philistine, he lives according to the word of God. He says, listen, God did this and God did this. Surely he will do this for me. And so he goes and he kills the Philistine. And as long as he lives according to that word that's hidden in his heart, that he's a king and that he's to serve the people, as long as he lives that way, he's always where he needs to be. He always has what he needs. And he's always doing what he's supposed to do. And then the first time, the very first time, and it's, it's one of the saddest verses in the, in the Bible to me. 2 Samuel chapter 11 says this. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they, stay, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Why is he staying in Jerusalem? It's the time for the king to go out and lead the people. And just once, rather than living according to the word of God that's hidden in his heart, which is that he's the king and he's to lead the people, he gives in and lives according to anything else. I don't know, maybe it was hot out. Maybe it was cold out. 
Maybe he had something new in the, king, in, the, in, the, in the palace that he wanted to spend time with. Maybe they were building a new building and they were just about to finish and David thought, you know, I'd really like to be here to see it finished. Maybe one of his friends said, don't go out there. Come on, you don't have to go lead the people. Like, you've got, you've got Joab, you've got all those guys. Like, let them do that for you. Whatever it was, he's not living according to the word of God. Because the word of the Lord over his life, and this is why it's so important that we know the word of God that spoke over our life, that we ask him and we speak to him and we hear him and we know what has he spoke over my life? Who has he called me to be? What has he called me into? And we hide that in our heart, in the center of who we are, at the core of who we are, is both his written word and his spoken word to us. And the two are never to oppose each other. They complement each other. And so David always lives according to this. He always does the right thing. He always chooses to live according to the word of God. No matter what, no matter how hard, no matter what he faces, he every single time, he makes the right decision. And you know, the truth of the matter is, is sometimes it's easier when you're in the caves and you're afraid for your life to follow the word of the Lord than it is when you're sitting on the throne and everything's going well. Every single time he was in the caves, he did the right thing. Every single time when he was a boy. When you're first starting out and you have that zeal for the Lord. When he first gets anointed by Samuel and then he gets sent back to watch the sheep. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't think this is below me. He doesn't reject it. When his dad calls him and says, hey, I need you to go serve your brother's lunch. He doesn't say, I'm anointed king. Why don't they serve me? He just does what's asked of him. He does what's expected of him. He does the right thing. And then when Saul's trying to kill him and he's running for his lives and he's, life and he's in the caves and he's being pursued, he's being chased, every single time he chooses the way of the Lord. And now he's sitting on the throne and he's been on the throne for a while. And for the first time ever, when the time came for kings to go out to battle, David stayed home. Listen to what it says. The, the day that they left. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. Why is he on the roof of the house? Because he didn't go out and do what a king should do. He's never supposed to be on that roof. He's supposed to be out in battle with his men, leading the people. When evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Why did he see a woman bathing? Because he's on a roof he's never supposed to be on. Looking at a woman he's never supposed to look at. Because the first time that it was time for a king to do something, David didn't and lived apart from the word of the Lord that was hidden in his heart. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Never supposed to be on the roof. Never supposed to see the woman never supposed to find her beautiful. The first night. People always say stuff like, you know, it says David was a man after God's own heart. He was. And people always say things like, well, well, how did he get caught in this? How did he fall into that? And look what this leads to. It leads to him committing murder, and it leads to him taking another man's wife, and all this other stuff. And all of it starts with David not living according to the word of God that spoke over his life. He said, it was your word, God, I hid in my heart, and it kept me from living short of your glory. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, and I, I just, I, I felt like the Lord would, would say to all of us, like, 
you've trusted me in hard times. Make sure that when you get to a place where it's not you having to lean on me for literal life and death every day, that you don't stop looking to me and living by the word that's hidden in your heart. And so here he is sitting on his throne, and for some reason he gives himself the, the option. Like, we can't give ourselves permission to say, like, that choice to follow Jesus and make him Lord, in that one choice, a million choices are made. We surrender our rights and yield our life to him. And it's no longer my decision whether I'll stay home when I'm supposed to be out leading the men to battle. If, I, if you've called me to be a king and it's time for a king to go, then I go. Not because I want to every time, but because I want to live according to the word that you spoke over my life. And because I want to be obedient. And because I want to be, like, it's way safer for me out on the battlefield fighting the enemy. Think about this. The safest place for David that night was in a tent with his men. We would all think the safest place is to be in the palace, surrounded by guards. The safest place for David was in a tent with his men, miles and miles away from a woman named Bathsheba, who was doing nothing wrong, just taking a bath on a hot night. And I love this. It says, when evening came, David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. For God is faithful, will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can stand, but with every temptation will provide a means of escape that we may withstand. One person, he sent out an inquiry, find out who this woman is, and they would have gone, probably a group of people would have went to see who she was, and they come back, and all of them probably said, oh, her name's Bathsheba. Maybe they would have said, you're right, king, she is really beautiful. Whatever they all said. But one looked at him and said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? What's he saying to David? He's saying, that's another man's wife, king. So again, the word of the Lord that's hidden in David's heart should be the thing that guides him. Thou shalt not take another man's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. That word, that law, that statute. And here's the thing is that sometimes we need the law to keep us from walking in something because we've, given, we, we've neglected the grace that's called us. So if the grace of God that called David to be king and to go out and lead the people couldn't keep him from sleeping with Bathsheba, the law that said not to covet your neighbor's wife should have protected him. It should have been a safety to him. God would desire that all of us would live according to grace, but if, if you're going to run over grace, then at least the laws should be written in your heart to the point where you say, I'm not going to violate what God said over my life. But David goes past both of them. He's already stepped over one line because he said, I know it's time for kings to go to war. I know that I've been called a king. I know that it's been tasked to me to lead the people, but I want to stay here. And so he ends up strolling somewhere he's never supposed to stroll, seeing something he's never supposed to see, thinking things he was never supposed to think. And if you end up in that place, there should at least be the correction of saying, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. 
And that should have been the end of it. Ah, she's married. That should have been the end of it. Because the word that he hid in his heart was the thing that kept him from living short of the glory of God. But instead, he violates even that word. And he says, bring her to me. He's in the palace when he shouldn't be, seeing a woman he shouldn't see, having thoughts he shouldn't think, and then acting in a way that he shouldn't act. And all of it is because rather than living by the word of the Lord that's hidden in his heart, he lived by anything else. And see, we, sometimes I think we have this idea of like, well, I would, I would never do that. You, the, the truth of the matter is, is if you ask David a few days or a few minutes before, would you ever kill a man to have his wife? His answer would have been no. But what got him into that place was violating the word of the Lord over his life that opened the door for him to see, that opened the door for him to feel, that opened the door for him to want, that opened the door for him to act. And all of it could have been avoided simply by living according to the word of the Lord that was hidden in his heart. I, I, I'm, not, like, I'm not saying this to make us afraid of anything. I'm saying like, there's a way to live. Jesus said, if you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself, on this hangs all the law of Moses and the prophets. In other words, there's, there's, there's grace on our lives. We're called into this place. I started thinking, like, what does the Lord spoke over us? Like, he says, he says, he became sin that knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What if we took that word and actually hid it in our hearts, that, that he died so that I could become this? And then we lived according to that word, which says that I'm the righteousness of God. I am in this world the representation of the Father. Jesus said, as the Father sends me into the world, so I also send you. And then he said, I came to show the world what the Father looked like. What if we took that word and actually hid it in our heart and lived according to that word and said, my reason for being is to show the world what the Father is like. And so when I'm going to act and when I'm going to live and when I'm going to be a certain way, I'm going to make sure that I live out of that word that's hidden in my heart. And if it would violate that word for me to do it, I won't do it. What if we lived that way? Like, what if we actually hid his word in our heart so that we didn't live short of the glory that he's called us into? Not out of a legalistic thing and not out of like a fear and condemning thing, out of a thing of saying, God, like Jesus, I want you to get the full reward of your suffering. I want you to receive what you paid for. I don't want to live less than you've called me to live, especially when I know that everything you've called me to, the grace and the ability is there to walk it out and to live it out. So when you said, I tell you, you've, you've heard, thou shalt not commit uh, or, or shall not murder. But I say, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you're guilty of the same. That means there's a way that I can live that's free from harboring hatred in my heart. Because you would never call me to a standard that grace won't empower me to. You said, I, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Well, if you're calling me to not be an adulterer, and you've said that adultery means looking at a woman with lust in my heart, that must mean there's a place, God, that I can live where I'm free from looking at women with lust in my heart, because you would never call me to something that grace doesn't empower me to walk in. If you've called me to pastor this church, God, then that must mean that there's something available to me in you where I can pastor this church the way that you would call me to because you'd never call me to something that your grace hasn't empowered me to walk in. 
And, and, and sometimes you'll have a word that God speaks to you that you put in your heart, and then something will come to test the word. Amen. It talks about that in the Bible a lot. It says, and then it came to test the word. What is it coming to do? It's coming to see, have you actually hidden it in your heart to the point that you'll live according to that? Or will you live according to the things that come to test it? So I, I just, I'll close with this. I was thinking about when we were in the hospital with Aaliyah. And I remember the first, the first night that we were there, I was all alone. And I remember, I, would, I, I remember seeking the Lord and saying, God, I just got, I have to hear you. I could hear machines beeping. I could hear a, a life support machine breathing. I could hear IV alarms going off. I could hear codes in the, in the hallways. I could hear people running around. I could hear the doctors saying what they expected from her life. And I could see and hear all this stuff going on. And every bit of it would lead my heart to a place of despair if that's what I focused on. And so I remember just laying there and trying to tune everything out and saying, God, I, I have to hear you. I need a word. And I remember I, I just opened up to the book of Isaiah, and there I found it. it. Talked about not looking to the left and to the right, not being fearful. For him with his mighty arm, holding, holding you up. And I remember, I believed that first for me. And then I remember sitting up on the bed, looking at her, and saying those words to her. Over and over again. And I took that word, and I hid it in my heart. And every single time something would come and it would test that word, I would run to that word and then I would live according to that word. And I would decide according to that word. And I would speak according to that word. And so when things went from bad to worse, the word didn't change. And neither did we. And that's what's incredible about that whole time is afterwards now, we've talked to so many people that have said, and I, like I couldn't boast this if I wanted to, and I believe every single person sitting here would do the exact same thing if you were in the same position. You'd anchor yourself in the Lord and you'd believe him and you'd see him come. But people have said over and over again, it's been so amazing watching the way that you guys walked through that. And here's the truth, we weren't trying to walk through it amazingly. We weren't doing anything for the sake of a testimony. We were just living according to the word of God that was hidden in our heart. And it kept us from living any other way. That word glory, that Jesus says, the glory you've given me, I've given to them, it means honor, it means praise, it means worship. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said that you would live in such a way that men would see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's the Greek word doxa. Paul says in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And David said, your word have I hid in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you, that I wouldn't fall short of what you've called me to and of the glory of God. And like, Once it's over and you've walked through whatever you've walked through, it's too late then on the other side to go back and relive those days from a word hidden in your heart. So you could panic and you can live like the rest of the world, and that's your right. But that's not what you're called to. 
You can live and die by what the doctors say and, and the report, or you can live and die by the, what the bank account says and the report, or you can live and die by so many other things. You can let all these other things be what determines the way that you live your life, or you can anchor your heart in a word of the Lord, and you can say, thy word, I'm hid, I'm, your word, God, I'm hiding in my heart because I don't want to live short of the glory that you have. I don't want to live short of the glory that you've called me to live in, God. I want people to see my life and then glorify you. And you get to decide from the beginning what the testimony will be. But once you've walked through it, it's too late to go back and try to arrange the testimony. So figure out now, what do I want the testimony of my life to be? Do I want it to be people saying, we watched and we saw. And you walked through something. And man, it made us really believe the things that you've said about the Lord because we saw it evident in your life. Or do we want to give people permission to say, see, people don't really believe what they say. Because when the pressure's on, they look like everybody else. The only way you'll live that way is by taking a word from the Lord and hiding it in your heart and then living according to that word. So ask him, God, who have you called me to be? God, what have you called me to Find it in the Word. You can find in the Word the things He spoke over your life. You can find where He said, you shall be holy for he is, as He is holy. You can find where He says that don't you know that, you, that it, you, His temple is holy and that is what you are. You can find where He says those who claim the name of Christ must in this life live as He lived. You can find these words and so you can say to Him, God, if you've called me to live the way that you live, the grace is there, the ability is there, the empowerment's there, and so I'm going to hide that Word in my heart and I'm going to live according to your Word, not according to what I see. And so so many times, living according to a word will keep you from being on the wrong roof, seeing the wrong person at the wrong time, thinking the wrong things, and acting the wrong way. Like, you don't even know how many times that you've been spared from things because you've lived according to the word of God over your life. You have no idea how many rooftops you've avoided, how many Bathshebas you haven't seen, because you've lived according to the word of God over your life. And for those of us who have allowed ourselves to stay home when everybody else went out when we were supposed to. And there's been times in our lives where we know we've been on the wrong roof, we've seen the wrong thing, we've done the wrong thing. You can start today. His mercy is new every single morning. You can start today and say, God, for the rest of my life, I'm going to live according to your word. I don't want to live short of the glory that Jesus said he gave to us. Take his word, hide it in your heart. Let it be a safeguard. Let it be a guide. Live according to that. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word in our lives. God, I thank you that we can take that word, we can hide it in our heart at the center of who we are, God, and we can live according to your word. Father, I thank you that everything you've called us into, you've graced and enabled us to. God, don't let us be like Saul, where the only change is an outward one that people see, but in the inside of our heart, we don't truly believe it. God, don't let us be like David that trust you in the hard times and then trust ourselves in the good times. God, let us lean as fiercely on your word in the good times as we have in the hard times. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that we can do that. I thank you that you speak to us, Father. I thank you that we can open your, the Bible and hear your word and know your word over our lives and see who you've called us to be. And God, I thank you that we can hear your voice and know what you've said to us individually, to the things that you've called us to. 
there's a, there's a word that, that I remember getting from the Lord. And I remember when I first started pastoring and I was overwhelmed and I felt like I owed every single person all of my time every single day and it was costing my family and it was costing the business that I was part of. And I remember just laying on the ground and crying and saying, God, what am I supposed to do? I feel like I'm letting everybody down because I can't do everything people want me to and I'm not doing the things that I probably should for my wife and my family and I'm not being the business partner that I should. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm, in trying to please everybody, I'm not even good to, for anybody, God. And I'm, I was just weeping and asking him, what am I supposed to do? And I remember in that moment, he spoke to me and he said, Roy, there's a million men who can pastor that church. There's one man who can be a husband to Patty and there's one man that can be a father to Aaliyah and Jackson. And it was like instantly everything shifted and it prioritized. And so I live according to that word to the point that there's times where there's things that people want from me and there's demands that people make on me that would violate me being the husband to Patty that he's called me to be or the father to Aaliyah and Jackson that he's called me to be. And so I live according to his word and I put them first and I allow other people to sort themselves out. And I'm okay with the fact that I can't be all things to all people because I've been called to be one thing to a few people first. Get alone with him and get that word over your life. Find what he's called you to. Find who he's called you to be. Believe that. Let that change you and let that change the way you live. I promise you, it'll keep you from being where you're never supposed to be. It'll keep you from seeing what you weren't supposed to see. It'll keep you from thinking what you weren't supposed to think. It'll keep you from acting the way you weren't supposed to act. And you may never know how many times that's happened. It's not like every time he comes to you and says, hey, remember that time when you chose the right thing? By doing so, you avoided all this. He doesn't come and show us all the heartache that was avoided. But I promise you, there's a lot of heartache avoided by living according to his word rather than ignoring it and living in opposition to it. So, Father, thank you for that. Thank you for keeping us from those rooftops. Thank you for keeping us from those places that would try to lure us away from who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.